My name's Adele Onyango and welcome to another episode of Legally Clueless. No, seriously, I have no clue what I'm doing, but I'm pretty sure I'm not the only one. Hello, welcome to episode 123. I like this episode. One, two, three. See what I did there? <laughs> okay, um, <laughs> I'm sorry, like really dumb jokes make me so happy. I am really happy that you listen to this podcast and that you find something to connect with, be it either something I've said or a storyteller or even the music. I am just so glad that there's something here for you and that we are really growing. It's so magical. If you are new to our space, we do have an Instagram page that I'd really love you to join. If you check the show notes, there's a link to it, but you can just search Legally Clueless Podcast on Instagram. You'll find us. If you want to tweet about this podcast, use the hashtag Legally Clueless. It makes it so much easier for me to stalk you. <laughs> All right, we also have season one of our video series out on our YouTube channel. Check the show notes, there's a link to our YouTube channel there, or just search Legally Clueless on YouTube and watch 13 episodes full of powerful African stories. It's our latest baby, and I really want you to check it out. And then the final thing that we're excited about here is Legally Clueless is going on tour. <laughs> so excited. We are about three weeks away from from actually hitting the road, leaving Nairobi, going to Nakuru, Kisumu, and Mombasa. And of course, we're going to flag off in Nairobi, which comes sooner, but I am just so, so, so excited. I will be recording some episodes while on the road, and I'm very interested to see how that's going to go. <laughs> Yeah, so very excited about the tour, which of course we're doing in partnership with African No Filter. We got the grant from them to be able to do this. So excitement all round. Now that you're caught up in this particular episode, I'm excited about the story because it's so refreshing to hear somebody talk about business in such an honest way. Listen to this. My husband would tell me when we were going to go and see different restaurant sites, he said, maybe you should stay at home because he's fairer than I am. When they see a person of color, you can see like physically facial changes with realtors because they were like, oh no, not a non-white person. As an African, Cape Town is my city, is my home to actually experience that kind of sense of racism. And everybody said to me, Nadia, the restaurant's not going to work there because that particular street is known for being a very kind of white street. And I recall a couple of years ago we had one of our clients not pay us for about eight months and we were hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt credit cards are maxed out you know the banks are phoning you and saying like when are you going to pay your your debt and and you start lying in, <laughs> to the banks and you're like no didn't you get the payment my parents could see how i was really struggling financially i'd lost a lot of weight when we opened the first restaurant i fell pregnant i remember i was writing a proposal going into labor and the nurse was just like can you please put the laptop down <laughs> That is a story by Nadia, who is from Cape Town, South Africa, and that story is coming up a little later in this episode. However, let me break down three things. Two are not so good. One is a really nice day I had yesterday, and it just dawned on me that for me to be able to disconnect, I need to completely disconnect from actual human beings and interacting with human beings. Oh my God, that sounds like humans are the weak link. <laughs> in my life but yeah so yesterday i had such an amazing saturday guys like i haven't had such a day in such a long time and literally all i did was stay home didn't interact with humans except fal and marley who comes to help us with the cleaning at home 
only two people I interacted with and Fal even like disappeared the whole day to do his own things and Mali finishes her work so quickly. So I was alone for most of the day and it was so good. So I didn't even have to like watch a series or watch a movie. Like it was just so good. <laughs> So my disconnecting looks like not interacting with human beings. Yours could look like something different. But one thing's for sure, you've got to figure out how you can disconnect. It, it really resets your insides in a beautiful way. I feel really good right now because <laughs> no humans. And then came today where I do not have electricity. In fact, I'm recording this and I have 16% battery on this laptop. I'm just hoping that... <laughs> everything works out so kplc who are the electricity givers in kenya but do they really do that job well just decided that we don't need electricity and we were not scheduled for any maintenance today but it went like clockwork at 9 a.m and when it does that i know it's gone until probably like 5 6 p.m <sighs> so i'm trying to like think of the only positive thing about it which is nobody's water pump is on as i'm recording this but it sucks it really sucks and then the other thing that i wanted to share is something that i did this week uh when i was wearing my businesswoman hat <sighs> so i really don't have too many great experiences when it comes to working with advertising agencies based in kenya the relationship normally starts off really great and then it sours when it comes to payments. I do have some very amazing Kenyan advertising agencies or advertising agencies based in Kenya that I work with. And they know because I will tell them, oh my God, you're so refreshing. It's great to work with you. And I just cherish those few. But one of them that has shown me stars. <laughs> so how it works for advertising, let's say on the podcast, is a client can either come directly to, to me or they sometimes have an advertising agency working for them. So that agency does all the media buying and stuff like that. And so in November, one such situation happened and it's a client who I really enjoy working with and have a really good relationship with. And they had this agency that I'd never worked with. I love contracts. I love clear terms in the contract. I love payment terms that stipulate a percentage before and a percentage after the completion of the campaign. So I should have known <laughs> in hindsight that this is going to be tricks because it was very hard to get that first payment in. I literally had to threaten not to show up for a particular engagement unless that first payment was done, which I hate doing because honestly, money conversations aren't meant to be, what, what I think is they, they aren't meant to be awkward or strained, especially when both parties are transparent. Once you have your actual payment terms that you have both agreed on down on paper, money conversations shouldn't, they shouldn't be strange because there's no emotions there. They really should not be. Anyway, so that should have been my first red flag, but I was like, what? 
basically the the first installment I can do all the production work and get things done and it was on a campaign that I really truly believe is important so now (laughs) that was in November please eight months later they hadn't paid the remaining percentage and when I would reach out to the finance departments and stuff it would either be like empty promises of silence and I think a lot of small business owners freelancers can really identify with this issue this I think I've been fortunate enough to have experienced this maybe five times in total but I think what I hate about the process of asking for your payment is a lack of communication because hey sometimes shit happens we're in a pandemic you know shit happens in business communicate you you just have got to communicate that for me is is paramount when you start going silent that's pretty disrespectful to somebody's business and to themselves so they would go silent blah 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 and so this past week i was just over it and it all this time was not even about the amount of money or whatever it was really like the disrespect i was like yeah you're disrespecting my business that i love so much and that is really so fulfilling yes but it's a lot of work and a lot has gone into setting this up and is still going into setting this up as a new media space so i because i know the clients just wrote an email and was like this is ridiculous yeah but i didn't say it as this is ridiculous i said it in fancy english (laughs) and i think what was so sad is a client called me and they had no idea that this was happening they were so saddened because it went against all the values that they stand for and the values that we were amplifying in this campaign and all of a sudden a day after that email, I got paid. The one person who had been ignoring my emails, as in had never even responded to even one of them, responded. <laughs> I don't know if that made me feel even worse. Like, well, it's like, so first, the money to pay me was there. Secondly, you were seeing my emails. I mean, I knew you were seeing them, but you responding now shows that you were seeing them, seeing them. And I was just like, man, I don't know. Can we, Is there must be a way to run a business in an ethical manner, in a way way that you respect those you're doing business with so for me if I cannot afford you I am not going to (laughs) I'm not going to engage you and I try and I think I do because I can't even think of a situation where I haven't but anyone I engage with or outsource things to or blah 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 as soon as you send in that invoice the payment goes out that is me respecting our terms of engagement and respecting you and your business or you and your talent, there must be a way to to do things ethically. Because I also wonder, when these companies engage with big suppliers, like suppliers who are like more established and big organizations, do they do the same thing? Or is this something that you reserve for smaller business owners in business spaces that you probably think, oh, whatever, they don't need the money or you just don't respect them? Like, I have so many questions around that, but ultimately it's disrespectful. But if you are also in the same space, I think it's so important, yes, have your contract with your payment terms clearly outlined. I mean, on the same day I was receiving this eight-month delayed payment, I was receiving a payment from another wonderful client who, in our agreement, we had the date of when to expect the payment, and they adhered to that. So you could be as specific as 
in your contract as to the date you expect the payment. I think it's very important to know your client. Let's say if there's a third party in between you and your client, because sometimes the clients come directly and sometimes they have another entity representing them. It's important to know that client. It's important to have reserves if you're really running this as a business. So a percentage of what comes in, yes, you're paying yourself a salary. There is a percentage probably going to your overheads or whatever. There is a percentage that's going to your future projects that you probably want to do with your business. But I think a percentage needs to go to reserves because what if that eight-month delayed payment was such a huge amount that it could cripple what I do on a day-to-day? Which, by the way, was the case for Nadia, whose story is coming up, you know? So yes, reserves can only take you so far, but it's important to kind of like have them. And then I have a blacklist. I just, I understand Yes, there is a sense of privilege in being able to actually have a blacklist and say, hey, I'm not going to work with these people. But I just think it's efficient. I have a blacklist of organizations that I will not work with because they do not respect my business. And so for me, it's like, I can't engage with you. I actually can't engage with you because, hey, maybe I might even use more money trying to get the money that you're meant to pay me. (laughs) You know, that's actually a thing. And then secondly, man, the heartache and the turmoil. (laughs) (laughs) The stress, man. So yeah, I started that blacklist the beginning of last year. Definitely added this last organization on there. I think it's important. It's very important because there must be respect. And even if a payment is delayed because sometimes shit happens, communication is so important. Yeah, so that was my week. I had (laughs) business growth, business growth, character development. (laughs) You know how they say when you date a horrible person, um, you look at it as character development. I had character development in a business sense. So let's jump into the song of the week, which I actually stumbled on this week. I was exploring different musicians and stumbled on FKJ, who, of course, I knew from Masego's Tado, but I think FKJ stands for French Kiwi Juice. Yes, French Kiwi Juice. I always find that to be so cool. And I stumbled on a song by fkj called joy which is just check it out (laughs) it brings such warmth to me i i just really wanted to share that with you and i hope you like it as well there's a link to the song in the show notes or just go on to whatever music streaming app you use such joy by fkj so let's jump into 100 african stories which in this episode is powered by the gates foundation still on a high from being featured as a woman in business by the gates foundation around the Generation Equality Forum that happened a couple of weeks ago. And we were three African women who were featured, African women business owners, just to really spotlight some of the challenges we go through as women in business, um, the effects of the pandemic, and our general stories, you know? Because I think the three of us were fueled by passion, Myself didn't feel like I was really fulfilling my purpose on traditional radio and just like (gasps) jumped out to set up this podcast. And Hawa, whose story you listened to in episode 121, really was passionate about fashion from such a young age. Nadia's story is going to blow you away. Now, as you listen to her story, remember you can check out all the features on gatesfoundation.org forward slash ideas. I've put a link 
to that or that link in the show notes. A hundred African stories on Legally Clueless, powered by the Gates Foundation as part of the Generation Equality Forum, promoting gender equality by turning interest and words into action. I'm Nadia Musaji. I am a mother, a wife, an engineer, and an entrepreneur, and I live in Cape Town, South Africa. I've been in Cape Town the better part of my life. I've moved around, so I lived in Germany to finish my master's degree in engineering. I stayed for a little bit in Turkey, where I met my husband. But Cape Town is just one of the most beautiful places I've ever been to. So the first restaurant we opened in February 2016, so uh, yeah, five years ago was the first one in Cape Town. Can't believe it's five years already in the industry. It's been a journey to say the least. <laughs> I'm an engineer and I do have an engineering company but when my husband and I were deciding where we were going to live, at the time Turkey, I mean I absolutely love Turkey, I love Istanbul, but it just wasn't as safe for us and, and then we decided we were going to live in Cape Town and we were like, my husband as, a, as an immigrant coming into the city, you know, what is it that he could do? The easiest thing, I guess, maybe not the easiest thing, the craziest thing to do is become an entrepreneur, right? And he'd been in the food industry for, you know, 13 years before that. And I absolutely love food. And I just felt that there wasn't really great, fully halal Turkish restaurants in Cape Town. And I said to him, I said, Turkey doesn't need another restaurant, but Cape Town desperately needs one. There's such a big business opportunity. And that's really how, you know, our story started in the restaurant industry was really around a need for um, employment opportunity but also just um, seeing a real gap in the market. And, and you know Adele, I, and I guess this is always the saddest part for me, being a woman of colour in not just this business but anyone. You know I recall when we were just opening and I'd been to the World Economic Forum in Davos at the same year, it was in January, and we were negotiating with the landlord and they didn't want to give us the site. They were like, no, we don't, we're not really interested and we were actually buying a business so they were almost forced to give us a lease um, as part of the business sale. I said, look, I, you know, he, he set up a meeting. I said, look, I can't come on this date. I'm actually in Davos, but as soon as I get back, let's meet. And the first thing he said to me was, what were you doing in Davos? In like, how dare you go there? And I was like, well, you know, I was there for the World Economic Forum and he was like, really? You? I was like, yes, really me. My my husband would tell me when we were going to go and see different restaurant sites, he said, maybe you should stay at home because he's fairer than I am. And he's just like, you know, when, when they see a person of color, you can see like physically facial changes with realtors because they were like, oh no, not a non-white person. And so it's been a real struggle as an African, as uh, you know, Cape Town is my city, is my home to actually experience that kind of sense of racism when all you're trying to do is start a business is incredibly tough but it's also really hard so you know our money is good it's the same kind of money like everybody else and we have a good brand we have a good business and we have the money to pay for it right and so why should the my skin color matter and so for us you know starting that up was you know a real challenge to to even just land a space in in the restaurant industry you know the space we eventually got was in a street and everybody said to me Nadia the restaurant's not going to work there because that particular street is known for being a very kind of white street a very like alcohol focused street and I was coming in with a fully halal restaurant concept you know no alcohol they said you're never going to survive and I said guys you underestimate the buying power you have you know I've done my numbers we've I've got the business plan I've got the business idea this is going to work and I had this kind of dogged faith in and belief <laughs> that this has to work right um, almost like the stubbornness about this vision and 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 here we are five years in and kind of almost three restaurants later and you know um, I've spoken 
so much about the challenges of raising funding for female entrepreneurs. It is so much harder. Women typically, and me included, have bootstrapped our business for so much longer. You know, I'm an engineer by background, and so, you know, I had, um, I'd worked as an engineer. I had savings saved up so that I could actually invest in my own businesses rather than go to a bank. But I, you know, because every time I go there, it's such a jarring experience. And I recall a couple of years ago, we had one of our clients not pay us for about eight months. And we were, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt. Uh, my business partner, Hema, and I were really like pulling out our hair. We didn't know where we were going to kind of get that money from. And, uh, you know, when you're so heavily in debt and your credit cards are maxed out, you know, the banks are phoning you and saying like, when are you going to pay your, your debt? And, and you start lying in, <laughs> to the banks and you're like, no, didn't you get the payment? It's, it's coming. It, it was, I'm going to speak to my accountant. I'm going to speak to my accounts department. <laughs> right? And we went to the bank and we had collateral because, you know, we were in my engineering life and Hema, in her engineering life, she was very smart and we made some investments into property, so we had collateral for the banks. Except for the fact that the this company hadn't paid us, we were really looking good in terms of you know profit, etc. And we were just not good enough for the banks. And they said, no, sorry, we can't, we can't give you short-term loans. And it really broke my heart because I was just like, we've got collateral, and we you know eventually went to get big some friends and family to to give us the money. But for me, that that's always been the hardest thing. Is is what about the female entrepreneurs who don't have engineering backgrounds and didn't invest in property, right? And for me, one of the hardest moments in, in, in that journey was my parents could see how I was really struggling financially. I had lost a lot of weight. I was very stressed out because of the financial strain that, you know, the, the business was taking. And my mom and my dad, who have supported me through every crazy decision I have ever made in my life, you know, sat me down. My dad and my mom said, you know, maybe, maybe it's time to get a real job. And that gutted me because I've put my heart and soul into this. They've supported me through this. And they, they were trying to have that kind of tough love conversation with me. And just over financing, just because a bank couldn't see the potential because I was a woman, because I'm this entrepreneur who've got, who's got this crazy vision, they just, I, I was just not bankable enough. And that for me, it broke me. It broke me in so many ways. It broke my business partner, Hema, in, in so many different ways. And it took us a long time to actually get back. And eventually my dad gave us you know, the money to cover the debt. And you know, eventually the company paid us. Eight months of hell is, is really what we went through you know, from a financial perspective. Um, you know, so juggling a family, you know, two companies, you know, I, I, I look back on it and I, I just go like, what was I thinking, <laughs> right? So um, when we opened the first restaurant, um, I fell pregnant. All I remember was the smell of meat would just set me off and I would just bring on this nausea. But Turkish restaurants, all they do is serve meat, right? So I would be, you know, really sick in the restaurants and I'd, you know, we'd, we'd have, you know, 16 hour days where, you know, staff just wouldn't come to work. And in my other business as well, we were traveling, we were doing a lot, you know, in growing our business and I was I was pregnant and I didn't tell anybody um, except, you know, my close circle because when a woman is pregnant, sometimes people, they with good intentions start to exit you from opportunities, right? And start to take things away from you. I mean, I was like, no, I want to make every choice on my own. You know, just because I'm pregnant doesn't mean, you know, things should change for me. And I really, I hit this pregnancy from, from my 
you know, from our clients, etc. And I remember after my, my son was born, um, January the next year, everybody went, where did this kid come from? And I was like, as I was pregnant the entire time, you know, I was doing all these crazy things like running around the world and running a restaurant at the same time. I would not recommend it to anybody though. <laughs> you know, in hindsight, you should take the time, you should, it was a really tough pregnancy. I was doing like physiotherapy and, and occupational therapy like four or five times a week. And towards the end, it was just horrendous. And I think it, you know, it talks to about resilience, right? As an entrepreneur, I guess we sometimes, you know, give everything for this dream. And, you know, as I get older, I guess wiser, I guess, um, you also got to do this whole thing that they call self-care and self-love, right? And, you know, I, I could probably write a book of how I haven't done it, um, but I think it's really important to actually just take the time. I mean, I remember I was writing a proposal going into labor, right? I was in the hospital and the nurse was just like, can you please put the laptop down? <laughs> um, and I was just like, I'm almost done, I'm almost done. Um, don't recommend it to anybody, take the time off. <laughs> You know, 2020 was, I think, will probably go down in, in history as the year that the world fundamentally changed in, in ways that I don't think anybody could have anticipated. And, and being in the restaurant industry and the hospitality industry as a whole, I mean, it's taken such a big knock. And at the time, you know, March 2020 rolled in, in, in South Africa, we had two restaurants and, and suddenly, you know, the, within four days notice, our government goes, you know, full lockdown, you're not allowed to go outside, all businesses have to close unless you a retail store and I go what, what are we going to do with the restaurants and our staff you know we we don't have you know huge margins in the industry we don't have the ability to to sustain all the expenses and I go what are we also going to do about our staff right because we've got two restaurants now and we speak to our landlords and the one landlord is like don't pay any rent he's such a gem and the other one goes I want every single cent paid or you evicted um, and starts threatening and then we go you know where are we going to fund staff salaries from, right? And we took uh, some loans, some bank loans. We literally took money from an organization that was giving out um, soft loans to pay for our staff salaries so that we could at least have some support for our staff. And we, we got food hampers and, you know, to distribute some food hampers to staff. You know, it was one of the hardest things was to close one of the restaurants. And it was a decision because we actually just didn't have the funding to be able to sustain tooth over a long-term period. And I think that's, you know, the hardest thing as a, an entrepreneur is, is that you didn't do anything wrong, right? It was literally you were a victim of an environmental cause. And we started consolidating and we tried to you know cut as much as possible without you know in, in the most humane way possible for me and, and my husband we had so many conversations and I think it's what's harder for me as a you know I've been a gender activist uh, my whole life and I know a lot of our staff are, are women in the restaurants and they're single-headed households and you know it's not just like we're gonna let the staff member go it's like I'm gonna let this person go but then what happens to the entire family right because that She's supporting everybody. So I think it was probably one of the hardest decisions to take on who to keep and who not to keep. And what we said to our staff was, we absolutely love you guys. You know, this is a really tough situation for all of us. And when the restaurants open again, we will bring you back. The philosophy is, you know, try and do this in the, the most humane way possible. And you know, the, the issues of pressure and stress, and I always think that I guess motherhood 
has really taught me how to deal with that in, in, in you know, sleep deprivation, all of those things. I always say if you don't actually take care of yourself, it starts to manifest physically as well. And so, you know, your hair starts to fall out, you just feel unhealthy. And I'm, I'm the kind of person who used to never run and exercise. I always used to say, if you see me running, then you run faster because something is chasing me, right? So just be careful. Um, and I had to kind of completely flip that and, 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 and you know, start to take care of myself. Um, you know, physically as well as mentally and emotionally. And my business partner, Hema and I, um, what we would do, and this was like pre-COVID, we, we would do a retreat every year. And I think that is so important, especially with business partners. We would go to, um, you know, an island somewhere where we were cut off from most things. We would go and really treat ourselves, get massaged, and then really have that time away to rethink what was important for us in our lives. And we used to do this every single year. And I think that's really important is, is that, you know, that self-care piece, right, to be able to kind of re-energize, you know, everybody says you can't fill other people's cups if your cup is empty. And, and this year specifically, I've really focused on how do I make sure that my cup gets filled as well so that I can fill others' cups more. And I think that's really important for entrepreneurs to think about. You know, I have the restaurants, also, I have um, a company that supports education and training in the engineering and tech industry, and we work all along the engineering value chain from attraction so how do we get girls excited about engineering careers to ownership you know how do we support female founders in stem businesses and yeah it's science technology engineering and manufacturing and we used to run programs all the time and it was all in person in 2019 I traveled like 120 days of the year um, in different you know in 22 countries running different programs I said to my business partner Hema I said Hema you know this isn't sustainable for us just because you know never mind our carbon footprints here but I mean I'm exhausted I'm tired of traveling and I maybe I'm, I'm really sorry that I put that out of the universe and the universe answered with lockdown <laughs> but um, in, in December 2019 we, we didn't on a go digital strategy because I mean she'd been traveling like 300 days of the year and it just wasn't sustainable for either of us or our team members and we started converting our programs to digital programs online learning and we weren't sure the receptivity because you know people were just so used to running training programs for the engineering and tech industry in person and having big conferences and having big programs and so I always think we were a little bit ahead of the curve because while we had designed all of these uh, and we were about to put it out to market suddenly you know pandemic hits in March and we have four months of already having developed um, and tested things online already and and so we're ready to go in a digital space and I think you know that first move advantage gave us um, an incredible head start in the industry that we work around learning and development and I always think about you know how you know, you've got to be really agile in this market to be able to rethink your business. And, and that was in, in, in Womhub and our education side, but even within the restaurants, right? Suddenly we weren't able to open for customers. We weren't able to see people in the restaurant and give them that experience. And so we sat down and we went, you know, how is it that we create this dining experience at home? And a restaurant that was not really focused on delivery, suddenly, you know, I'm setting up a website, I'm setting up like a Shopify account online so that you can buy food and setting up a whole delivery system, you know, just because, you know, the, the current delivery systems like through Uber and Mr. Delivery that we currently use is quite expensive. They take 30%, which, you know, that's our margins right there. So, you know, having to like really rethink, um, not even think out of the box, redefine the box here um, is what we did to be able to actually 
be super agile and, and creative in, in a pandemic situation. Honestly, um, during the pandemic, financing has been a, a big challenge, right? There's all this promise of, of government grants and SMME funds to help SMME survive. And we applied for every bit of money um, and didn't get it. Um, you know, and I guess we live in countries where there's a huge need, but also, you know, you know, to be quite frank, there's, you know, gross inequality and corruption um, that happened. And so, you know, there was something like, I don't know, 500 million for SMMEs and not sure how that got spent and who that got spent on, but we, we weren't the ones who, who got that. We did get um, some funding from a, a trust um, who basically made a billion rand available. And, um, but that is a, a loan that we've got to pay back. And that was specifically to cover staff salaries. And so we said, we're not taking you know, salaries, our staff gets paid first and through that loan money. And then, and, and I always think that you know, it's, it's the nature of entrepreneurship, it's especially when you're a serial entrepreneur, right? Because the restaurant is struggling, but my company, Wimhub, is, is doing really well, right? So we initially consolidated and we said, okay, you know, cash is king, reserve our cash. You know, we're not going to um, expand anything. We, we're going to try and make sure that we, we weather the storm. We don't know how long the storm is going to last for. After that kind of consolidation and real focus phase, you know, suddenly we're doing really well. And so, you know, I didn't have to worry about, you know, financially, you know, my personal finances because my, my woman is thriving and the restaurants be going, okay, how do we, you know, move money around? How is it that we like dip into savings and reserves um, across the board to, you know, to keep the restaurants afloat? And, you know, I think that those kind of decisions, um, nobody teaches you that at school, right? It's all like trial and error, you know, and I wish we were able to kind of get better financial skills for, for young people um, and for entrepreneurs and for older people, right? To be able to manage our money better. Um, and that's literally what we did. We just kind of kept moving money around, um, you know, in this kind of very circular way across our entrepreneurial ventures to make sure that, you know, we met all our demands, all the payments that we needed to do, um, and the end, you know, you know, come out on top. And uh, you know, really, when you talk about having hopes and optimism for the future, and um, and I have to laugh at this because in a pandemic situation, you know, we went into lockdown in March. In September, we opened a new restaurant, <laughs> uh, and uh, and we about to open uh, another restaurant in the waterfront, which is kind of a very prestigious location here in Cape Town. Why I'm optimistic on, on the hospitality side and on the restaurant side is now is really the time to invest because you can get incredible deals. People are way more negotiable about rental. Landlords who hadn't seen rental in months, suddenly you come here with a really good concept and, and suddenly cash is way more important than all the other prejudice that they had before. And so I think we've really used the pandemic to our advantage in terms of expansion so we went through a really kind of tough three or four months in the industry and now we're going you know what does that horizon look like how do we grow and expand our operations in a way that is really strategic for us and then the same with with Wimhub you know we went through that kind of early consolidation phase we spoke to all our clients and our customers we helped them um, you know align with a new strategy that was digital and we became the trusted partners and advisors in helping them also leapfrog I mean you know through some of the challenges that the the pandemic had created that they weren't also used to 
do. Both sides, it's around investing now because this is actually the right time to do so. I think it's going to be incredible when we, and we're already starting to see this in the restaurant industry, you know, where people are really tired of eating their own cooked food and suddenly they want to go out. And I think, you know, a lot of people are missing those human connection points. And so we're starting to see that growth in, in a way that has been really surprising and interesting. And of course, we've, you know, still got to be quite cautious because, you know, there is still a pandemic. And, you know, so, you know, in terms of being able to share some like really good advice, and I think I always think about, you know, what is it that I would have loved to have, you know, learned um, or knew before? And what kind of insider info would I have loved to have had? And, you know, the first one really is when we took the leap from, you know, having engineering day jobs to, to being full-time entrepreneurs, we said we were going to have six months of salary in the bank. And that's just so that we can cover ourselves so that we didn't have to worry about our own costs. We needed more than the six months. Um, so um, think about you know, what your savings and your reserves look like when you're going in all in with your entrepreneurial ventures. Because you know, the challenge around raising capital is, is a real challenge. And especially because sometimes women become martyrs for our causes. I always used to say, um, you know, I don't need a salary. I'm doing this because I'm really passionate about it. But suddenly you've got a kid and they need nappies and formula and clothes every six months and suddenly that kind of discussion around finances is not appropriate anymore right so make sure you pay yourself I mean the second one is really about being strategic around opportunities and you know when you're going in look there's no guarantee not in business right you know we could open up the new restaurant and it could fail in six months right you know 95% of restaurants fail within a year but it's really about you know how do you spot your niche um, you know a lot of people said Nadia a fully halal Turkish restaurant concept in Cape Town will not work, right? You have to serve alcohol. Um, and I said, no, uh, you know, just fundamentally, I don't really, you know, want that for my restaurants. And I think that there's a huge market opportunity. And we never wavered in six years of, you know, of the vision of, you know, a, a fully halal concept. And we've grown. And organizations and restaurants where they were like, no, we're going to have both have faltered. And so really, you know, stick to your vision and your dream, because sometimes there's something there, you know, there's this little voice inside. Um, and sometimes we want to say, no, 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 you know, everybody else is right, this voice is wrong. Um, but actually that is kind of your guiding light into thinking and and it knows things that maybe you don't really want to realize and so listen to that inner voice um, there's lots of wisdom there and then I think the last you know the last piece is really strategically surround yourself with incredible people I would not be able to do what I do today if I didn't have an entire village supporting me from my business partner Hema who is you know um, my husband knows so my husband and I are you know business partners in the restaurants and Hema and I are business partners in in, in Wimhub and a, a number of other ventures but he knows that Hema's my soulmate <laughs> um, and and that's just because we get each other so completely right I feel like women we all need to find our tribe and our soulmates we just we're there to support each other you know when I had my when I had my child it was this tribe that really got me through the sleepless nights who took care of things when I wasn't able to take care of it when I wasn't at you know peak performance and I think that's really where we need to think about you know forming you know we, we called it a sisterhood we called it a tribe but whatever it is you know surround yourself with incredible people and you know it's really about finding incredible people to make your job easier because I always say you know if you're an entrepreneur and you have to be in your business a hundred percent of the time to make it work then you've just created a job for yourself but if you can have multiple companies running at the same time and you can be sitting on a beach in Bali then you are truly an entrepreneur. <laughs> 
This pandemic has really taken its toll on women and we need to recognize that we actually may have gone a few steps back in terms of gender parity and gender equality, right? Because when we all were shut down and we were all at home and schools were closed, it meant that women were suddenly educators and, and teachers. And in, even though the classes were on Zoom classes, I know, I mean, luckily my son is four, so he doesn't go to school. I've got friends who suddenly had to go and learn calculus and algebra because they had to go and teach it to, to their kids. We live in a fortunate society where we have home care and home support, right? But suddenly, you know, my home helper wasn't able to come in and so suddenly household chores became, you know, a woman's responsibility. Um, and then when people got sick, um, women started looking after the, the sick as well. And so suddenly, you know, we had one job or two jobs and suddenly we've got all the jobs on our plate, right? We, we need to recognize that the burden of care is a real burden, that unpaid work is really skewed in, in our societies, especially on the continent, but actually around the world where we have patriarchal societies, where there's an expectation that women are going to do the cooking, the cleaning, the looking after kids, plus have the career, plus, plus, plus. It's exhausting. It really is. And and so, um, you know, my plea has always been, let's put women in the center of economic recovery because when women are economically empowered, more money flows into their households. And so that enables, you know, equal education for girls, that enables, you know, higher income on households and better consumer spending on, on different things. And the number that they throw around is $5 trillion gets added to the economy when women are equally empowered, right? But that empowerment also means that we need to really speak to our guys in our lives and go, hey, look, buddy, you know, we're equally in this boat here. I've spoken a lot about this, uh, especially in patriarchal society, and as I've got a lot of pushback around, you know, we should be telling men to to actually, you know, empower themselves and pick up the load. And, and I think that's really important. So when we talk about women's economic empowerment, we need to also empower our men to be able to pick up the slack. You know, when I when I think about like gender equality, I always think about my husband and I, because when we got married, everybody everybody said, Nadia, you're going to stop traveling because you got married, right? And I said, mm, no, I don't think so. And then they said, when I, when I had my son, they said, oh, now you're going to stop traveling, right? Because now you're married and you have a child. And then I didn't stop, right? because, you know, I had to work. Between my husband and I, he cooks way better than I do. I mean, actually, he's the operator in the restaurant. He's the person at the back end. I just manage the finances and growth. And, and he's literally the one who's making sure that every meal that comes out um, to a customer's table is excellent. We said when we got married, we would redefine the roles for ourselves. And I think that's true equality is when you can say, you know what, I like these things and I don't like those things. And I get to make those choices every day for myself. And so, you know, if you want to be a mom who stays at home because that's what you want to do for your kids nobody should take that away from you and if you want to be a mom who works and who has a nanny and that's cool you know nobody should take that away from you and if you a woman who don't, doesn't want to have kids and you want to have fur babies that's great as well there should be no judgment for whatever women want to do want to wear and want to aspire to and I think that is true equality visit gatesfoundation.org forward slash ideas to be part of the generation equality Convos. Get involved and watch inspiring stories by women from across the globe. Gates Foundation, act for equal. I am so honored and happy that I got to have Nadia share her story, not only with me, but with you as well. And I'm thankful to the Gates Foundation for making it happen. 
just because she's so refreshingly honest. <laughs> I also really love that. Yes, she's talking about the challenges that she's gone through, but also that in a crisis like the pandemic, she's been able to see business opportunities as well. It's kind of balanced. Like we're talking about challenges, but also about growth and how to move our businesses to the next level. So if you want to watch and I really think you should watch Nadia's full feature, go to gatesfoundation.org forward slash ideas. And of course, I've put a link to that in the show notes. And when you get there, you will not only be able to see Nadia's feature, Howard's feature, my feature as well, but also to understand in terms of data, just how the pandemic has and is affecting women across the world. You know, we see a lot of conversation, especially here when we talk about women's rights. People are like, oh, we've done enough for women. They're okay now. Now we need to look at the boy child. I'm not saying that we don't need to figure out certain issues that are affecting young men and boys, but we are far from, <laughs> we're far from solving the very many issues that are affecting young girls and women as well. And this pandemic just pushed it to a whole new level. So if you go to gatesfoundation.org forward slash ideas, you'll get to understand more of the data and then obviously watch three powerful features from three powerful African women. Do remember you can catch this podcast on Trace Radio in Kenya. Just go to traceradio.co.ke for a list of all the frequencies and you can stream the podcast there as well. Well, Trace Radio there as well. And also head over to our Instagram page because that's where I'll be posting most of the Legally Clueless tour updates. So if you are in Nakuru, Kisumu, Omombasa, we will be in your counties and I'm just so excited. Ugh. I feel like that's the one thing whenever I'm getting frustrated by something, I just focus on, okay, can you imagine we're actually doing this? You started your podcast and it was something you really wanted to do on a bigger scale and now you're doing it. And the reason I talk about things that frustrate me, just earlier I was trying to get a hold of the guy who we're getting the transport from and he wasn't picking. <laughs> I was so irritated. So I'm just like, dude, <laughs> pick up your damn phone. But anyway, got a hold of him. So that's cool. I would say planning a tour, it's not difficult. It just... There are very many moving parts, that's all. But it's it's possible and I'm really looking forward to it. So I need to end the podcast here because of my neighbor's kids, honestly. <laughs> Not the fact that, you know, it's getting to be a bit of a long episode. No, these three boys are so loud and so noisy and so wild. I don't believe I've ever encountered kids this wild. And I know kids will be kids. So I'm just, I try not to tell them to keep quiet, but I have devised a plan. So one of my neighbor's daughters who doesn't say the country is visiting and she has a puppy and she keeps the puppy outside so it can run around and all of that. I discovered a couple of days ago that these three kids are scared shitless of this dog. <laughs> so... <laughs> I can't believe I'm admitting to this. I did meet her, the dog owner, in the car park. And like when I was coming back and she was leaving at the same time, I can't remember. And I told her her dog is so wonderful and I can see how he's growing so well. Must be all the running outside and he's really socializing well with people. 
and that it's really good <laughs> for dogs to be outdoors. <laughs> Listen, I know it's evil, but you see, <laughs> the dog doesn't bark much. So I would rather the dog, <laughs> the dog be outside than the kids. So yeah, I need to end because um, she's probably going to move her. Yeah, the the kids are out, meaning the dog has been moved in. So, <laughs> so this episode has to end. Thank you so much for listening to this episode to the very end. Remember, audio episodes go out every single Monday. And oh, their mom is... <laughs> I think their mom is fed up of their noise as well. Oh man, their mom is not happy with them. <laughs> Okay, let's get back to this. And remember, you can watch season one of our video series on our Legally Clueless YouTube channel. There is a link to it in the show notes. And very soon, there will be more video episodes from the tour. That's it for this episode of Legally Clueless. You can share this podcast with your friends. You can keep it for yourself. I'm not judging. Just make sure you're here next week for the next episode.